0: Hello, everybody. You have found Story Fort Presents Voices of TreeFort Music Fest. My name is Christian Wynn, and let me tell you a little bit about this weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery, Treefort Music Fest, which brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March. And we're gonna be here to tell you about all things Treefort. And today we're gonna talk to who, Allison?
1: We're getting kind of literary and talking about the intersection of um, uh, writing and science. Uh, So we have Molly Nota, who's a co-coordinator of Treasure Valley Reads. And Mark Nagel from the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club. And they were both so amazing to talk to.
0: Oh, my gosh. We could, like you said, talk to them for hours on end. (laughs) We didn't even touch, you know, much more than the surface about the book, The Honey Bus, which is an awesome memoir by Meredith May, uh, who's going to be at Story Fort 2020. Yes. here at the end of March, and we're really, really happy to partner with Treasure Valley Reads, with Story Fort and Tree Fort. And uh, here's our podcast listen away.
2: We're
1: here with Molly Nota, who Hello. is a librarian at the Victory Branch Library. And also the co- co-coordinator of <laughs> Treasure Valley Reads. Yes. Um, and then we're also here with Mark Nagel, who's the president of the Treasure Valley Beekeeping Club, and a very experienced beekeeper. And he's going to bring the science into this today. <laughs> and very the very excited. cool
0: tattoo. <laughs> you yes. Can't see very it, cool. all y'all out there, but it's a honeycomb with <laughs> a hive and several bees. What do you know about <laughs> Meredith May, Allison?
1: Well, I was wondering if maybe Molly could talk a little bit about um, how this year's title was selected and what you want people to know about the book. Yeah,
0: Yeah. maybe even just like how the program works and then how the title was selected this year. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, um, first of all, thank you guys for letting me be on this podcast. This is super cool. And to be here with Mark. um, Yeah. What an honor. (laughs) Um, So... Basically, Treasure Valley Reads, it's had a lot of iterations. Um, It's been around for 20 years in the Treasure Valley. Um, I think it was the big read, Read Me Treasure Valley, and then finally we realized, like, let's go big. Let's completely lock on to Treasure Valley Reads. And we are a community-wide reading initiative. And a lot of people, when I say that, they just, their eyes kind (laughs) of glaze over. What does that mean? Um, Obviously, as a librarian, um, reading... In the community is huge to me. But when we can come together um, to talk about themes in one book, it's, it's pretty special. Um, so this year, we, we've, we've chosen lots of different titles over the year. We don't like to get pigeonholed in any one sort of genre or subject. Um, Colson Whitehead came um, the year before last. Of course, we had Tommy Orange um, the year before. Um, And so we really wanted to do something completely different um, and kind of pivot away from fiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we, this book, I I order memoirs and biographies for our system. And this book just sort of um, kind of stopped me in my tracks, the cover and the, the title. And I just, there was something about it. I just like locked into it. Um, and I brought it to my director, Mary DeWalt, and I said, "What do you, do you think people would like this if we picked it? And she was like, let's give it a go. Let's see what <laughs> happens. <laughs> um, and obviously we're partners with Story 4. It's um, our second year doing it's our so. second year, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's super stoked to very, have you as partners. Very exciting. Um, and so the movement behind the book has taken on a life of its own. I think people are really excited about uh, popular science and bees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's so much more going on in the book, uh, yeah. being that it is a memoir. Um, there's some humanities things based on, you know, grief and womanhood and mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and Meredith is just an incredible person. Tell yeah. us about
0: the book. I mean, yeah. What it, I mean, it's a memoir, it but it also has a lot of science in it and also has just, I don't know, a lot of yeah. struggles, you know, with her own personal story and how. You can read the subtitle there.
3: Well, the subtitle reads A Memoir of Lost Courage and a Girl Saved by Bees. But Mm -hmm. the bees are kind of... um, I was talking with Meredith on the phone a few days ago and she was like, they're kind of the stage decoration (laughs) of the book, which I thought was really interesting. Um, So it is... She did this this book and she'll go through the process uh, during the keynote, which we'll talk about that later when that is... She goes through, she rewrote this book many, many times. Um, But don't quote me. Ask (laughs) Meredith. No. (laughs) But um, she said at first it was more um, a monster mom (laughs) sort of memoir. And it just was about her own mother. It was pretty. She
0: had a lot of depression issues instead of a lot of abuse, issues in her life. Exactly.
3: Exactly. So she was like, you know there's something else going on here, especially particularly with my grandpa, who Mm -hmm. is, I believe, was a three-generation beekeeper Mm -hmm. um, in Big Sur, California. So Meredith um, leaves kind of a turbulent situation with her father, and they all relocate to California. And um, Sans
0: father. Father is not invited to California. Father (laughs) is not invited.
3: So so they get taken in by um, Meredith's parents and um, she comes across this old army bus um, that is broken down Um, and it's a really beautiful passage in the book where she it's just sort of this like a haven for her Mm -hmm. Um, and that is actually where all the magic happens that's where her grandfather had his hives um, all of his tools Uh, it's really really fascinating yeah
0: yeah, and he would be somebody um, that would go, people would call him up, like, mm-hmm. hey, we've, we've got a bee problem. We need to get this hive out of here, right? And he, then he would, he knew how to sort of. Uh-huh. You know, well, sort I think of Mark like, knows corral more about that. Growl the bees and then bring the yeah. hive or restart
2: the hive, like mm-hmm. back in this bus.
3: Mm-hmm. So exactly, Mark, maybe tell us yeah. how
0: that, have you ever done something like that?
2: Yes, um, actually, as part of the Treasure Hive Beekeepers Club, we offer a free service to the community whenever you have a swarm of bees that shows up um, and to rewind one step uh, the way bees reproduce is they swarm and it's very unlike humans in any way where you have one queen for all the bees in the hive in order to reproduce that original queen the hive will start a brand new queen leave that queen and half the bees behind and the original queen leaves looking mm-hmm. for a place to live um, that's considered what a swarm is and when swarm season comes in the spring, very intimidating for people, all of a sudden you get thousands of bees showing up in your front yard in a cluster. Treasure um, Valley Beekeepers Club offers a free service to come out and, um, you know, humanely harvest those bees from wherever they end up on a tree or a branch or a car mirror. And um, A car mirror? Is that, is that a thing <laughs> yeah, that they, yeah. like, they're they'll, attracted they'll, to? No, they'll just find somewhere to rest while, okay. you know, they fly a short distance, find some place to rest, and she sends out... Bees to f- locate a place to live, mm-hmm. and they'll eventually go to move, move move into that area. Mm-hmm. So well, um, I'm
0: curious, like, where do they like to live most? I mean, I, you see a, a hive like in a tree, <laughs> or so they build their own out of. I mean, I guess I'm used
2: to wasps
0: more yeah, than yeah, than, a lot than, of than bees. Like, it's uh, hate those wasps. Oh, yeah,
2: it's uh, um, you know, there, there's there's great studies that have been done on the swarming process and what the selection process is, and um. I've done pretty successfully swarm trapping, trapping here in the foothills and around town. And what they say is the the, your trap needs to be higher than a teenager can reach. And so (laughs) (laughs) that, 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 you know, about six to seven feet off the ground is what they prefer their hive entrance to be at and probably about an inch and a half round, With enough space, it's probably about 1.5 cubic feet to three cubic feet. And that's what they'll originally look for is an area that, so a lot of sides of your house between siding um, you know, if you have holes, and you know, people have bees that will move in and establish a hive, or you know, knots in trees and, that are hauled out and dying and stuff like that.
0: And how many generally are in a swarm? I mean, is it, it seems like hundreds, thousands, possibly. You know, I don't know, know but three, three like, to five thousand. Three would to five thousand wow.
2: bees and one queen. And one queen. <laughs> yeah. But how do they oh, appoint yeah. the new queen? That's a good. So that's, like, a, that's something I want to know. <laughs> okay. that, that, there's, that's where all the science starts coming in, right? And there's a um, they they select um, eggs in the first three days that the egg is laid in the hive, and they change the diet of what they feed to that egg, and that will cause that um, that, that egg to grow into a queen instead of a normal female honeybee. And so, actually, what they do is they starve it of protein and and, and feed a, a diet more of royal jelly, which is produced uh, from yeah. every single queen bee, and that's what um, you know develops the queen. And they'll they'll generally do two to three to four or five six of them at the same time, and then it becomes you know your Hunger Games situation where the first one, <laughs> mm-hmm. first one's born will take out the rest of them, and then oh, really? yeah, and then it'll go from there. The you know it goes on mating flights, and that's where all the fun science really begins.
1: I'm curious how you got into beekeeping. Well, that's real.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my background, I went to college uh, and got a degree in physics. and my senior year i was at the national science foundation in georgia uh doing a presentation and one of the breakout sessions was the physics of bumblebee flight oh wow and why it really shouldn't be possible for a bumblebee to fly so that that's (laughs) really what i you know the treasure Island beekeepers club i talk all the time how i really love bumblebees bumblebees (laughs) are you know sierra laverty up at the botanical gardens and stuff she's you know we always have texts back and forth about bumblebees, <laughs> and you know that's that's really. But you know, the, you don't manage bumblebees like you do um, honeybees, and so that's where the interest started was with the bumblebee, and then is, I start to dive more and more into it. I mean, you just it just one layer after layer after layer. Yeah, and then,
0: maybe you could differentiate between a bumblebee and a honeybee because I really, <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a bee lay person for sure. <laughs> I'm learning more from this
2: book. <laughs> so honeybees um honeybees you know really rewinding and starting aren't native to the united states a lot of people do Mm -hmm. not know that um so they actually came over in the 1600s with the pilgrims from europe and are um if you talk to a lot of entomology or if you just look at entomology groups in general um i mean it's an invasive species Mm. it it really pushes native bees out Mm -hmm. they're very you know once they find a nectar source they're very dedicated to that Mm-hmm. and as honeybees started moving across the United States, it took about 250 years to get to the West Coast, and then there's a lot of, um, you know, different stories, you know, unconfirmed about how they got all mm. the way to the West Coast. Like, there was settlers that went around the Horn of South America and brought them up on boats um, down to Did through. they bring them on purpose, or were they, like, stowaways? or these like? They know? did, because honey was quite the commodity along with beeswax, right, and then pollination, sure. and then, you know, find out about this great tree called the almond tree that grew and what honeybee is the major pollinator of almonds. so hmm. yeah So honeybees are very social. Um, they will produce honey they're hoarders. Um, <laughs> they, they'll, they'll grow in size. Um, you know right now in Idaho our colonies we're keeping it at about 3,000 honeybees or in the mm-hmm. colony over winter, but they boom up to about 70,000 in the spring, uh, spring and summer out foraging 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 and they'll just they'll put honey on until there's nothing to forage anymore which is why they push you know Mm. other native bees out they can't compete against it bumblebees not as big they'll have one queen as well but they'll only have you know 50 or so bees in the rest of the colony Mm. that's it then they don't overwinter actually what happens is all the other bees die off and the queen goes and hibernates and then she'll start again again in the next year well how does she reproduce if they're all dead she'll leave she <laughs> she'll'll she'll, she'll, they'll, they'll, they'll produce one or two queens at the end of the year that'll um, okay. also go and they'll go and hibernate they'll go kick normally they kick it's really interesting they'll kick mice out of mice holes and stuff <laughs> they actually most you know bumblebee colonies are in the ground i'm uh, i'm just I know that i am so I can't wait to come across a, a like a wild bumblebee colony. It's my your bee. I just day. had a friend bee on Facebook yeah, I had a friend like on it. Facebook that had one show up at her house and I was yeah. so jealous. <laughs> <so laughs> <laughs> <laughs> um they're real hard to relocate too. Bumblebees are very, very picky. Um they are produced commercially, uh, for tomato pollination. Mm-hmm. Um
3: that, that's what I think is so funny talking with you, Mark, because <laughs> I, I'm just like, you're like, guess why? They're not really um, as celebrated. And I was like, well, I mean, they're cute, but yeah, they're not, they're not, There's they no don't make a lot of money, which I was like, oh my God. <laughs>
2: yeah. Honeybees are managed livestock in, in the United States. Think of them like cows.
0: Mm. Wow. Uh, very little that's... cows that <laughs> fly. <laughs> yes. yep. Yeah. So yeah, I was maybe Allison I don't want to override well, this conversation how about you ask a question I'm gonna ask about flight in a second here. okay <laughs>
1: well I was curious about that but I wanted to get back to your story because I'm wondering like then you start actually beekeeping at some at yeah. some point yep. what was it like to kind of start doing that
2: well you know it's very intimidating to get around an yeah. insect that'll you know come after you if you do the wrong thing right yeah so I think there's you know we joke in the beekeeping um, community that there's th- about three phases of becoming a beekeeper there's the first year where you're just nervous you're trying to learn as much as you can you can do whatever and then you get your bees to survive over the first year and then you think you've done it all I mean you've, <laughs> you you beat the odds you, your honeybees have lived or whatever and then honeybees have this thing about they'll always throw something new at you <laughs> and so then after that f- second that second year your bees die You're the most depressed person in the world. You've now done what did I do wrong, you know, kind of thing. And then that's where we seem to lose the majority of beekeepers is after your first three years. If you can stick through it for three years, you generally turn around. And we like saying you you, you graduate from being a bee haver to a beekeeper. Oh, wow. (laughs) And how
1: many (laughs) years have you done it
2: now? This is going to be the start of my eighth year. That's
1: amazing.
0: And how many bees do you
2: keep yourself? I how many
0: <laughs> hives and whatnot?
2: So between uh, my personal hives, um, I'm beekeeper up at the Botanical Idaho Botanical Gardens, yeah. and then um, I've had random hives throughout the north end and friends and stuff like that. I have been up to 17 hives, which was way too much for one person to manage. <laughs> um, I try to keep it down around 10 hives.
1: That's, still a, lot nice. hives. That's <laughs> a lot of hives. <laughs> my goodness!
2: So you studied. Flight of bees. Well, I didn't necessarily study. I went to a A class, a a, 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 a breakout session about how, you know, if you look at a bumblebee, they're ginormous compared to the size of a honeybee. Um, Yeah. If you compare the two of them, and it's just very thin wings uh yeah. propelling something so
3: large yeah and if
2: you watch a bumblebee fly they're not very pretty like <laughs> oh. honeybees are amazing or you get into your small mason bees or stuff they're very aerodynamic they can go in and out fly even if you watch hor- hornets and wasps same thing bumblebees I've run into things <laughs> hornets and wasp,
0: they fly fast yes and they
2: hurt when they yeah. bumblebees oh, yeah. <laughs> sting you or bite you or whatever yeah. they do yeah, bumblebees will <laughs> run into things, you know. Right. There's there's it, a movement around you know how their we their wings are thin and the way the membranes move through it and the way that they actually move. It's very a u- unique generation of um, you know flying and how they are able to fly. If you like compare it to say a bird.
0: Yeah, because there's not an airfoil involved. No they're just beating their wings and somehow that works and they kind of go in almost like
2: a Uh rotating fashion. Yep, You know, that's just kind of what sparked it. And then I just fell down the rabbit hole, you know, yeah, Mm -hmm. my big, my big, you know, the big push where I am now is I'm way more into the Queens and local Queens and native Queens to this Valley and being able to produce it and get those genetics out Mm -hmm. into this Valley so that we can have a more sustainable, especially in our area, a better quality honeybee for, hobbyists mm-hmm. and maybe eventually yeah. commercial type beekeepers
0: yeah and i i guess both of you or all three of you like for me i'm, I'm curiously like how i mean we hear about pollinators being you know at risk and i mean what's our state of like Are, are because bees have been dying off mm-hmm. we get that narrative out there Um, Mark actually has a
3: program (laughs) lecture that he will be presenting as a part of Treasure Valley Bees. That's Um, awesome.
0: I mean what's, how are
2: bees doing these days? Is it really as dire as people say? So you're right. Um, The honeybee is really sensationalized in media and it's one of the things I talk about in my talk. Um, If you take a look at um, a a sustaining ecosystem and something that's going over time and you take a look at what the honeybee is doing, the honeybee is not the one that's really in trouble. Um, if you take 10 beehives and set them next to each other and just let them survive, um, you're oh, 33% of them are going to die out naturally. That's the way honeybees work. It's why honeybees mm-hmm. are so amazing and dynamic. Mm-hmm. Imagine uh, your group of friends. If you got rid of the bottom three all the time, <laughs> you would have the best set of friends <laughs> of everybody, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brutal. I'm of three right now. <laughs> so, so that's how they've evolved um, very well. So, you see the ma- the media the line that says we have lost 33 percent of the honeybee mm. population. Well, that is natural. Mm. Right. That's normal. It sounds dramatic, but really remember they're uh, they're managed livestock. Honeybees are doing fine. The problem is with the pollinators that mm. are like your native bees, right? Your your, your bumblebees, your small little. Right. Those are what are being in added to endangered species lists, and a lot of that contributes. And you know, and this contributes to the honeybees as well, though. Um, is, you know, the United States is very much a monocrop culture where um, if you look across it, I mean, there was something like 92 million acres of um, corn last year, 91 million acres of soy. You look at about 50 mm-hmm. million acres of wheat, all of that not pollinated by bees. Mm. So what goes into that agriculture is pesticides, mm-hmm. drifting of applications across to where wildfires were, wild wildflowers being taken away from these natural foraging not for just honeybees that have you know evasively been here but have now pushed those native bees into them now taken away for you know ethanol production feedstock, you know livestock feed production stuff like that which is you know all subsidized Mm -hmm. as you know honey and beeswax and stuff has not since the war you know because that was the last time there's a subsidy for those so you start Hmm. seeing you know, you start following money trails and you can see where things go and how it affects bees and pollinators and agriculture and all aspects.
1: How many species of bees are there in Idaho?
2: I think it's around, I think it's 2000. Wow. Wow. 2000. Yeah. And only one like species produces honey. Apis mellifera. Yep. Wow. So, but they're all pollinators. Yep. They're all pollinators. All very important to the ecosystem. All, you know, honeybees, like I said, you know, I touched on honeybees don't pollinate, um, Tomatoes at the bumblebees. Mm -hmm. You know, they oh okay. Yeah, they they actually, you know, pollinate it by going up and like vibrating at a specific frequency which makes the pollen. (laughs) That is crazy. Look it up on YouTube, it's amazing. (laughs) You'll just see it it burst.
0: Wow. Um, and and are there other species of like insects that pollinate at all, or is it only bees?
2: Yep. Well no wasps. Wasps do. Wasps butterflies. (laughs) (laughs) What how do you
1: feel when they badmouth wasps?
2: (laughs) So Well, you know, I, this is the thing. So <laughs> wasps, wasps can be detrimental to beehives, but... Of course. Um, if, if you manage your beehives and have strong beehives, you're not going to have a wasp problem. And mm-hmm. so wasps are there for a reason. They're the cleanup. They're the garbage men of the insect world, right? They're cleaning up things. So they pollinate things. They... I, you know... I, like I, 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 I love my six, <laughs> six-legged flying friends. Um, they get a pretty bad rap, so... <laughs> But maybe Molly will yeah. shift back yeah. into
0: the Treasure Valley Reads program yeah. and like the the book itself. So you said it, it caught your attention well, right away. Actually, the Why? way
3: the way it actually worked is that um, we actually came across sort of another title um, that we wanted to feature along with the Honey Bus, um, and we wanted to kind of eventually. They're almost like companion titles for this the Treasure Valley Reads mm-hmm. program, and that title that really got us excited was Buzz by Thor Hansen. Um, and he Who will... is a
0: scientist, scientist. and a writer, mm-hmm. obviously, and who's, yeah. I know, in this being with the Idaho Botanical Gardens folks, they had a moment when you mentioned his name. Yeah, they were yeah. He's, of...
3: he's definitely a star in uh, the science world, um, has been featured on NPR, like all the major. Um, he's made the rounds with lots of, with with his books um and he's actually coming here <clears throat> to boise uh february 19th uh in partnership from a grant with the idaho stem action center and then the nature conservancy in idaho and of course treasure valley reads and ada community library um he will be coming to bsu to speak and That's we are so cool. excited um talk about an educator in <laughs> in popular science today um I'm really excited that Mark is reading the book <laughs> because it's like it's like two people, two lightning bolts <laughs> probably um, when Mark is reading it, I can imagine. Um, so he actually does probably a similar thing to what Mark does in his lecture um, titled, Are Honeybees Really in Trouble? In Buzz, Thor Hansen is actually just sort of breaking down these myths or misconceptions that we have about the bee which is he's like there's like so many different kinds of species they're doing all these different things um and he goes actually back into the evolution of bees too which actually tells you a lot like you're like oh i had no idea. this is insane um so we kind of wanted those two titles to work together that's cool um and for whatever reason i think the honey bus had a lot of different entry points for us to mm-hmm. be the Treasure Valley mm-hmm. Reads pick. Um, and then we have that popular science and the companion title of Buzz. And not that there isn't that in the honey bus. Um, it's a, yeah, there definitely there is. There definitely it, yeah. is. Yeah, especially with the dynamics of a hive mm-hmm. um, and how bees are sort of like a moral compass for her. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But, you know, she describes watching the queen bite off the head of a drone. Yeah. And she's like, why? why? No, Grandpa's like, you know, that's that's the way it is. We, they make it right. They, yeah. They've got a job yeah. to do, and they're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. That uh, was
0: your least favorite friend, you know. Like they, that, was that was the friend that didn't win, make the win. list. Yeah. <laughs> so, one of the three, at least. So. Yeah. But that's cool. So, yeah. So, what are a couple of his other titles? Because he's been around for some time doing this. science writing. Is is he only a bee guy? No, no, no. He's actually
3: done a book called Seeds, uh, which, gosh, I believe is he takes these large topics and just kind of slowly drills down into the evolution of this thing that you take for granted that you see Mm -hmm. every day. Um, And I think the biggest thing that Thor Hansen does is he says to just, you know, get outside and watch what I'm writing about. Which yeah. I think is really, really, really fascinating as a librarian. I'm all about books and reading and getting immersed and um but yeah, it was really inspiring to have Buzz outside on a summer day yeah, <laughs> and I'm watch and a bee. bees. And I just <laughs> was like, Whoa, this is um it's hard to articulate. I wish I could. Um Yeah, I was wondering yeah. if you like if you were, if you were if there's something you noticed that you never did before when you see bees what have I noticed I've noticed that I've never actually watched a bee pollinate something from start to finish Hmm. and after reading buzz I did that's because I and I it is such a it's okay first of all it's like so relaxing uh, (laughs) to to do that Uh, and then you realize like this is something that is so much bigger that I I can read about it but I still don't really understand and that's mm-hmm. why it's mm-hmm. so wonderful is that Thor Hansen also in his title Buzz is like, I can explain it to you, but there's so much that you, But then he goes on to explain know. it probably. Oh is. he does. <laughs> so. Oh he does. And I the thing so. I love about Buzz that Mark was touching on too is that he does not focus on the honeybee. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that there's like so like yeah. it's the tip of the iceberg. Um, and yeah. that there's so many amazing species out there that are very different and yeah. that don't get a lot of attention. But the honeybee, people love to talk about the honeybee. <laughs> yeah. um,
2: and that's really been my, my as, as part of the president of the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club, I've been trying to, my my personal agenda as the president has been to get the beekeepers to pay attention to that second step, like, you know mm-hmm. what? What is going on? What are your bees foraging on? Um, the big major problem that is f- affecting the honeybee that I didn't talk about is actually called the varroa mite, mm-hmm. and it, it's a mite that introduces parasites into the honeybee colony, essentially, yeah. right? And um, there's been a lot of research done on the varroa mite, and what the varroa mite actually was feeding on on the bee. It's, so it's like, hey, guys, twilight fans,
3: huge. <laughs> Were you two gonna say no? In the same?
2: no I'm sorry, but team, Edward okay. or team Jacob? <laughs> I think I'm
3: Team Jacob. But... So,
2: so what found what what we found out? What we found I'm a out. <laughs> <laughs> what we found out is the honeybee. They thought it was a vamp. I mean, the varroa mite was a vampire and was actually oh, going wow. after the blood. Right? It was Mr. Edward, but no. It turns out um, Samuel Ramsey, he's kind of a rock star now in the beekeeping community. Found out that it they're actually going after the fatty bodies. They're more werewolves than they are (laughs) so that was a big that was a big change in mindset in the beekeeping community and and a way that we can attack this varroa problem right and so Mm. you know personally in the treasure valley beekeeping club i've been you know you you hear about treatment free beekeeping and then if you do not treat for varroa mites your hives will eventually die it's scientifically proven the way commercial guys do it is a lot more you know sledgehammer mm. when you need mm. to be using a feather to do something right and so um you know pushing it way. you know i i had 35 beekeepers in the club you know go out and act, at least check and know what their mite numbers were and only treat if needed were to be and then now here in my second year this spring we're going to actually see how many of those hives survived Oh, compared wow. to people that didn't treat at all and so actually we'll have some numbers that going forward that i can publish to other small beekeeping clubs and say wow. hey look so how do you eradicate such mites and how big are the mites i mean bees are not big obviously compared to so us if, but uh, you know it, i mean is it like a, <laughs> i picture like us? a flea is it a flea size or is so it bigger on a human it would be like a cantaloupe was stuck to your side Oh, so if you you scale (laughs) and what it does is it it goes. I like cantaloupe, that's yeah, and it feeds on your fat, and then it leaves, and then it leaves that hole open. For that's where the parasites, and so you get oh. parasitic mite syndrome there's there's several <sighs> virus vectors that then happen to the bees, which causes the colony to collapse. I'm yeah. sure you've heard colony collapse and disorder, and, yes. and of course, mm. that's what's getting pushed
3: go. in media, and right. there's Ooh. not a whole lot of agency um in understanding it sounds like mm-hmm. and but now we have people coming forward who are like, actually, there's something that we can do if we take the time to study it, right? right awesome. and so
2: when you hear you know the issues with what's happening with bees you know there there is a chemical pesticide problem yes there is a forage problem yes there is this mite problem yes so, so big picture these are all what needs to be looked at it's a, a sum of things that's happening that's causing a problem which all mm-hmm. need to be looked at and, uh, and addressed mm-hmm. hmm. So there's the science is behind that. Did the wasps
0: bring the mites <laughs> in? I believe like the wasps probably did. I don't. Let know. the wasps go, oh, I'm man. Sorry. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I'm fixated on the wasps. But
1: you're that suck. is an interesting thing, right? Because like, there's so much nuance that is never conveyed. Mm-hmm. And has has that been like as you're kind of building programming around the yeah. title something that yeah. has been?
3: Yeah. So when we when I approached programmers, and I think that's why Mark and I hit it off when we first met I just was like listen I don't want to do the like the cute bee right. thing like I want to do I want to challenge people's idea about bees and then also I want to tease out the things that are hard to talk about in yeah. terms of like conservation the environment yeah. um and how you know <clears throat> bees are metaphors I guess for a lot of A lot of social struggles and let's talk about that um so that's that's the programming this year um is going to be really really um special and um very i think different for us i think we've definitely been like let's do it all um (laughs) And this year, we wanted to be really thoughtful um, and obviously focus on popular science, mm-hmm. conservation, and then also media literacy. Yeah. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to go to that Mark's program cool. on that. Yeah. We
0: have a couple questions on that. Yeah. So, uh, the metaphors you think yeah. the bees convey. I'm curious. Like, I mean, we could get some of them from just, you know, sort of, I guess, our hive mentality, our working together with uh, our community and/or yeah biting the heads off potential <laughs> you know sort of friends slash enemies but i mean yeah what, what are some of the metaphors you're going to bring to the conversation for like younger readers or younger sort of participants in your programs and all that kind of stuff
3: well i think um that there are a lot of kids um and especially meredith touches on this too because um obviously she was raised by her grandparents yeah. idaho mm-hmm. is the number one state in the country where grandparents are um legal guardians Mm. Mm. of their grandchildren um so again we'll be doing programming on that but in terms of the honey bus um she really wanted to focus on the fact that she learned how to really just meditate in a hive Mm. when her Mm -hmm. world was turbulent um when it was turned upside down when her mother wouldn't get out of bed Mm -hmm. for weeks and weeks and weeks um, and I also think um, for, for Meredith, when you're a kid and you have trauma and you live in a really scary situation, um, there comes a moment, I think, where you, the pathways in your brain for learning, that can be shut off mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you are in a cycle of mm-hmm. abuse. Um, so I believe that her interaction with beekeeping and the hive Really, um, really made her feel worth it, you know, mm-hmm. to work through that. And I think that's sort of what we are going to be talking about in some of our programming as well. Cool. Um, we're hoping cool. to get the Women and Children's Alliance that's involved cool. um, mm-hmm. to talk about to talk about those hard issues. Um, because again, as Meredith said, bees are important. Are they the whole book? No, mm-hmm. right. but they definitely inform. The stage of her mm-hmm. story. Right. Um, she does
0: a great job, like, yeah, of connecting, of course, the humanity, her own situation with yeah. the hive well, kind of culture and, and, think, and like what her grandfather yeah. taught her through that. They're they, yeah.
3: they are getting their job done. It's not about one bee, it's about the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's about how we all work together to make sure that, that, that the hive survives. I'm just
2: saying, 98% mm-hmm. of the hive is female. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a female based society. (laughs) So I'm just saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But back to what she just said about the meditative quality. Yeah. Once you get past the fact that there's 70,000 stinging insects right there, (laughs) it really becomes once once you're comfortable being in a beehive, you can go through the bees will tell you when they're not happy with you before they sting. They realize Mm -hmm. that if they sting, they die right yeah. right yeah. so they will give you warning signs and if you just you you pay attention to that you open a beehive you'll see the eyes look up at you they want to see what you're doing they'll follow you through uh, and randy oliver he runs ScientificBeekeeping.com. he's an amazing scientist beekeeper as well and he, he explains it as doing tai chi in a beehive the way you <laughs> grab you know frames you pull them up you take a look at them very cal- everything's planned out everything's calm everything's smooth and the bees can sense that and they can mm-hmm. tell as mm-hmm. a, instead of you're just going through and banging through like a big bear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just very calm. And it, it, it really is meditative. It, 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 yeah. It's There's nothing like being in a nice warm 70 s- degrees spring day, nectar's coming in, you open the hive, it smells like flowers and the bees <laughs> are just there watching you, flying around you. Just being one with that hive is unbelievable. And every hive has a different personality. Hmm, that's, that's pretty amazing. Really cool. yeah, I know. I'm it's, curious. That's the stuff of poetry there. Yeah, wow. it's amazing.
3: beautiful. Are you okay. ready to go through
2: a beehive with me sometime? I, <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> now I want plans. to. I just want to wear the suit. Yeah. <laughs> I want
0: to
1: wear the whole
2: suit. Yeah. All right. yeah so well, Allison had a question. Sounds
1: well, like. I'm curious how many times you've actually been stung over the past You know, I'm, I'm pretty what? good. But um,
2: uh, I wear a silicone wedding ring now because um, <laughs> I did get stung once above my ring. And oh, my oh finger did no. swell, and it had to be cut off. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh, Lord. But I'm down to, I think I was stung three times all last year Wow! Total. Wow. And I'm in beehives almost yeah. every day.
1: That's amazing.
2: So, yeah. it, it just, you know, it's... My first year, I bet you I was stung 3,000 times. <laughs> wow. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, like I said, getting comfortable. And once you're comfortable, yeah, the, I, the bees really do sense it. And
0: I imagine, yeah. They would feel your energy just mm-hmm. like you could feel theirs, yeah. like you said. Um, Molly, you have the book in front of you. I You do. are prepared to read us a passage.
3: I was. Or you are, I
0: guess. All right, I, yeah. I
3: am. I think there <laughs> is an amazing passage in here about her first time in the hive and actually getting... Actually, getting stung. Yeah. So I'm gonna read.
0: And this is early on in the book, first chapter.
3: Yeah, very, very first few pages of the book, and I think these were the first few um, pages that I was like, "I'm in. Let's do this." <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna start. So this is page 13 from the Honey Bus. When the bee buried its stinger in my skin. The burn raced in a line from my scalp to my molars, making me clench my jaw. I frantically searched my hair again and stifled a scream as I discovered another bee swimming in my hair. Then another, my alarm radiating out wider and wider from behind my ribcage as I felt more fuzzy lumps, that I, more than I could count. A small squadron of honeybees struggling with a terror <laughs> equal to my own. Which I love that part, yeah, because they're <laughs> just as freaked out as you. Then I smelled bananas. The scent bees emit to call for backup, and I knew that I was under attack. I felt another searing prick at my hairline, followed by a sharp pierce behind my ear, and collapsed to my knees. I was fainting, or maybe I was praying. I thought that I might be dying. Within seconds, Grandpa had my head in his hands. Now try not to move, he said. We've got about five more in here. I'll get them all out, but you might get stunned again. Another bee stabbed me. Each sting magnified the pain until it felt like my scalp was on fire but I grabbed the truck tire and hung on. How many more, I whispered. Just one, he said. When it was all over, Grandpa took me into his arms. I rested my pounding head on his chest, which was muscled from a lifetime of lifting 50-pound hive boxes full of honey. He gently placed his calloused hand on my neck. Your throat closing up? I showed him my biggest inhale and exhale. My lips felt oddly tingly. Why didn't you call out to me, he asked. I didn't have an answer. I didn't know. My legs were shaky, and I let Grandpa carry me to the truck and place me on the bench seat. I had been stunned before, but never by this many bees at once, and Grandpa was worried that my body might go into shock. If my face swelled up, he said, I might have to go to the ER. I waited with instructions to honk the horn if I couldn't breathe as he finished saw- sawing the branch. He shook the bees into a white wooden box and carried it to the truck while I reached up and checked the hot lumps on my scalp. They were tight and hard, and it seemed like they were getting bigger and bigger. I worried that pretty soon my whole head would be popped out like a pumpkin. Just a minute. Missed one. I'm going to skip ahead here. (laughs) You were very brave. You didn't panic or nothing. My heart cartwheeled in my chest, proud of myself for letting the bees sting me without screaming like a girl. (laughs) Um, I feel like there's a part in here that I really, really like, though, that he... um, The bees at the tennis ranch attacked me because their queen had fled the hive. She was vulnerable, and they were trying to protect her. Crazy with worry, they lashed out at the nearest thing they could find. Me. Maybe that's why I hadn't screamed. Because I understood. Bees act like people sometimes. They have feelings and get scared about things. You can see this is true if you hold very still and watch the way they move. Notice if they flow together softly like water or if they run over the honeycomb, shaking like they're all itchy bees need the warmth of family alone a single bee isn't likely to make it through the night if their queen dies worker bees will run frantically throughout the hive searching for her the colony dwindles and the bees become dispirited and depressed sluggishly wandering the hive instead of collecting nectar killing time before it kills them i knew that gnawing need for a family one day i had one and then it was gone overnight
0: Hmm, that's a great passage yeah so good
3: Oh, really man. good stuff. Yeah. 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 And I love how um, you know, grandpa's like, Yeah, you got stunned. Mm-hmm.
0: That yeah, that's was, it. Yeah. I gotta yeah. finish my job yeah. and let's go. Yeah. 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 It seems like it's it's this wonderful subculture that we're learning about. I'm learning about for sure. Yeah. Um it seems like a very tight knit community as well as just kind of well, you know, I mean, fanatical may be a little too strong of a word, but there being people are passionate. into it. You have a tattoo of like a honeycomb and bees and all that. I mean, you're into it for so, sure. I so. got a thing for needles, right? Right. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's I didn't think so of that. funny. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, tell. I mean, just maybe describe. And this is the Boise area, but right. it probably is around the world. There are these communities mm-hmm. that come together through beekeeping. Um, so, I mean, what's it like when you go to a I don't know, to a a meeting, and you're like talking bees, we talk about mites, we talk about
2: what else. Um, Well, generally, you know, the programming I try to go towards in the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club is, I mean, we have a, you know, I think we have a little more than 300 and some odd members in the club. And it's, Hmm. it's, like I said, there's that three-year turnover, and there's a popularity behind it where people want to get into it. So... Every program, every every club meeting, we have something for new beekeepers. and hmm. we're, this is, Right now is your time to start beekeeping. If you want to start beekeeping, come to our meetings. This time of year. Yep, this time of so year. So we're in January. January. Yep, this is the is, time that it's going to This start. is the time you want to start building your bee boxes. You want to start hmm. preparing. You want to have a plan of where you're going to obtain bees from to start. Hmm. And then um, go from there. Um, the meetings, I mean, they're generally... Uh, the the there's a venn diagram out there that shows farmers crazy people and in the middle is beekeepers right <laughs> so that that's what you're dealing with is people that don't mind a little bit of pain to get through for something pretty sweet at the end right you know if you if you want to find a good weatherman you find a beekeeper right oh. you mm-hmm. always you're always gonna know what's gonna happen in the next couple days um, just kind of from what you read about you know how the queen dies or something like that what you do in a beehive today isn't going to have any effect tomorrow but it's going to have an effect three months from now so as a hmm. beekeeper you're Aww. always thinking three months in advance so that's, that's why i'm saying right yeah. now it's not a hobby for everyone it has yeah. to be someone that doesn't want instant gratification because yeah. hmm. right now you're planning for three months from now when you get your first bees so you need a home mm-hmm. you need a plan you need your equipment and then right now if for my hives that are alive I'm going out and visiting them in January and looking at them and saying, do you have enough food to make it the next three months? We've been extremely warm. Mm. So that means the bees have been active. So we're keeping an eye right now on the weather. And I'm going out and visiting my bees and making sure they have enough honey stored to make it for the next three months. So do they, they feed on the honey? Yes, Okay. through the winter. yeah. And if they run out of honey, I mean... You can make fondant like that you put on, you know, cakes. Uh-huh. Or if you're lazy like me, you just dump a bag of sugar on top of the hive and seal it and they'll, uh-huh. just, they'll feed off of that. Wow. That's fascinating.
0: And then we'll talk about honey for a second and talk about,
3: oh, yeah.
0: well, so you know, I love when Mark talks about honey. honey it's like
3: <laughs> so cool. Yeah. And there are
0: lots of different varieties. And it's also like a kind of a boutique, a little, I mean, farmers markets and whatnot. You've got yep. it for sale out there. People, can make a living if you have a big enough, I suppose, like bee population to draw from, but <laughs> it's not cheap. Like good artisan honey, if you will call that, I mean, is exactly. pretty, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, it's uh, in demand.
2: I've, um, had conversations with beekeepers about this and okay. So you look at your, you go and you go to Albertsons and you look at just your bear. Of I've honey. started
3: doing this by the way, Mark, <laughs> after I met you, yeah. continue the,
2: the bear. Yeah. You I, look at your bear and if you grab it and you hold it up to yeah. the light, it's $3 and 50 cents and you hold it up to the light in the store and you can look right through it's clear mm. as glass. Then go down to the co-op or go down to your farmer's market and that's someone that's selling what they call raw honey. Mm-hmm. Um, that's either been strained or filtered. Uh, Strained is what you're looking for but if you hold that up you'll actually see the flecks of pollen that Mm -hmm. are still in there. The reason commercial honey is filtered it's heated and filtered one because it's then pasteurized gets rid of you know some things but that you know gets rid of some of the beneficial properties of honey. It flows through tubes easier when it's warm Mm. but they filter it to remove the pollen so you can't tell what the true source of the honey is. if you start googling you know imported honey from china you'll see that <laughs> honey is mixed and you know to to expand yeah. it longer sure. right and yeah. so when it's filtered through you can't get the true location of where honey is when i sell my honey i market <laughs> it as ultra local honey because right. i actually keep track of what hive that honey came from how old that queen is i can give you the exact That's location awesome. coordinates That's of fantastic. that beehive <laughs> yeah where, That's fascin- you yeah, know, fascinating, that is important sure. to some people, you know, it, <coughs> mm-hmm. it does yeah. help with allergies. It helps build up yeah. immune system. It does hmm. that kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah.
0: speaking of honey, we have not yet talked about yeah. the mead and reed event mm-hmm. that we're doing because mead mm-hmm. is made with honey. Mm-hmm. I I've never made mead. Allison, we will be having mead? a program
3: on mead making <laughs> with weather, weather rock meadery. So check it out anyone can whether learn whether yeah. me- or yeah. Meadery, yes, the meadery. Yeah.
0: and so yeah. and with Story Forward and Treasure Valley Reads and mm-hmm. like announcing officially announcing the book um, yeah. for this year's Treasure Valley Reads programming mm-hmm. um, we have this event called Mead and Read we'll have books and we also have mead i'm curious have well, you made mead i have oh well Allison hold on has something, we're gonna so. put some
1: logistics in yeah. here so, logistics, so if you're that's true if yeah. you're listening the week that this comes out and you're in the boise area the meet and read is coming up this friday that's the true. 31st that's 31st right at 6 p.m <laughs> 6 p.m at ming, ming studios, studios. Ming studios mm-hmm.
0: which is at 6th and front street yes yeah 420, so 20 we hope to
1: see pre- you there yeah, and now we can talk about and it's the free and, and open you. It's and it's your and idea
0: open. to get some mead yes. and other snacks luminaries
3: and, um, will be there on hand luminaries uh, luminaries well, Mark's <laughs> luminary right yes. local yeah. luminary. <laughs> so Mark can talk more to. Uh, with, yeah with my Mark. Wife. it's my. gonna be great please come my wife
2: calls me a bee liberty
3: <laughs> there are a That's lot of fantastic. like puns
2: we can like there's the a bees are like if you have any ideas send us a bee mail oh no <laughs> and we can. yikes i know we're getting we're going going deep i can week. go oh, all no. day i
0: know the bees. i mean we maybe won't get into the deep dive on mead making since we're getting close to the end of our time right allison
1: yeah we're getting close we although although you were time. talking about mead yeah. earlier and it was interesting <laughs> I, I have
2: i have made mead before um all what mead is is it's using the sugars in the honey for mm-hmm. the fermentation process right what's unique um about honey is the sugar quality varies ba- based on what the bees foraged on hmm. so the actual nectar brought into the hive so for example rabbit brush is very prominent in the fall in this valley Um, It is very, it's a very thick nectar that sugars real fast. And so when you have your, you know, especially in the United States, people don't like it when they have sugared honey, your honey jar crystallizes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Pro tip here, by the way, if you ever get crystallized (laughs) honey, go set it out in the sun for when it's about a hundred degrees for a day, it'll return it back to normal. The sun resets everything. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. The sun
1: resets everything. Don't put it in the microwave. <laughs> oh. <Okay>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> microwaves is bad. Okay. So, anyways, um, the higher you know, higher sugar content, you're gonna get better uh, alcohol content on the other yeah. end, right? When it ferments, so you can get up into your 17, percent 18, percent 19 percent. You know, when you start looking at alcohol content, you know, it, it made the back of my house smell like a whiskey distillery. Yeah, it, it kind of has
3: like a whiskey sort of. I've, I had it once a while ago, in, in Vancouver, and. I also wanted to ask you this, Mark. Um, I was talking to a mead maker, and he was saying, "All right, so craft beer—that was 10 years ago. Cider, <laughs> five. Mead's time is now." Yeah. Yeah. Because
2: it's all gonna be—it's all gonna be based on what the the honey tastes like, you know, mm-hmm. going into mm-hmm. it. So, mm-hmm. uh, if it's—you know, i i personally, when I get a bitter honey, uh, rabbit brush is one of those. It's—it's it's also bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of selling it. I'll use it to make mead because it has a high mm. sugar content. And then those flavors will marry and they'll mm. grow over time. It, it, you won't have your bitter honey anymore. You're going to have a complex tasting mead.
3: That sounds that's so exciting. Amazing. It does, yeah. I'm excited. You say
2: mead's like the here and
0: now, but mead has been around. I just it's think biblical. about it like as like yeah, a... Yeah, that's... You know, Molly biblical.
3: was saying it was a
1: taste biblical. So like, biblical. Mead has had many
0: days, it looks like, or sounds like. Maybe one other thing I, i'm curious so it's honey obviously but what else do you
2: put you, you put spices in there do you put i mean and you can do like apples you know okay. um spices um cranberries like oh there's a different wow. like, you can go a hundred different directions with it
0: and do you add water Yeah. Uh, it sits in like the 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 vat i guess if you will yeah,
2: yeah. all i ever do i just do like champagne yeast and Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeast to yeah, it. Yeah, probably. champagne yeast, honey, and water, and l- set it let aside it and let it, <laughs> you let it ferment for the first couple of weeks, 30-60 days, or whatever, and then mm. you can you know set it aside and let it sit for two to three years, and your flavors are going to marry.
0: That's awesome. Well, let's, I don't know. We're about ready to wrap it up, aren't we, Allison? Do you have a final I mean, question I mean, I could talk to, to both of
1: you forever. Going back to Treasure Valley Reads, maybe yeah. to kind of wrap this up a little bit about kind of like what your hope is and what you've seen in the past in terms of what happens when, when the community is all reading the same book and having these
3: conversations. Um, I You know, my biggest goal in promoting Treasure Valley Reads in the future is that the city can kind of, shut down (laughs) Mm -hmm. and become uh, excited about one title that we can eventually get the whole state. I mean, we do try to send titles up to the north Mm -hmm. and all over the state. But um, I really would like people to feel that this is sort of like their... Reading moment, if you will, and that they can sort of also contribute to the programming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think um, in years past we've dealt in there. There was the title last year, um, and it people felt challenged by by that book, um, mm-hmm. and that's sort of where I want to take um, this initiative mm-hmm. is is not to completely like antagonize <laughs> or challenge people, but to have people work through. Um, and maybe create their, their idea of programming. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it can be a little more collaborative. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that I want to choose books in the future where it kind of is a topic and you turn it around and present it in a way that people never thought about. Mm-hmm. So that's what I see as the future. Um, and just people being excited about reading, man. That's yeah. what it's all about. <laughs> that's what it's all about um Absolutely. And yeah. i would
0: say that you know it, it kind of blends nicely with for sure with like what story Ford does overall yeah. and tree forward over, overall as well as a festival um bringing those voices that challenge yeah. preconceptions or getting yeah. voices out there um, that, that via always books heard and yeah. or just yeah. narratives around you know sort of subjects we don't know about um initially ended up maybe don't have the the platform or um, even
3: subjects we know of, think we know about exactly. in regards to this year absolutely yeah. and just yeah. like,
0: that's a cool I mean overall message that you bring and it definitely has been a it's been a great partnership you now in yeah. our second year but it's just very cool that um, I don't know that you Basically are trying to mix it up in such a way with this year's book compare. I mean, there there was a novel. Yeah, there have been a lot amazing. of novels. Yeah. Yeah. Colson Whitehead's yeah. book, The Underground Railroad exactly. was the year before. And yeah. you know, you but you veered into the memoir. Yeah, lane. first uh, memoir
3: that we've hmm. ever chosen. Um and, you know, I think that obviously the genre has really taken off and hmm. um it's huge in the publishing world but I think it kind of gets this wrap of like oh every dog and his mom has written a <laughs> memoir but when you come across one that's so different and mm-hmm. has a voice unlike I mean you know there's elements of Mary Carr in this mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. um definitely I just feel like She's an amazing new voice. And I should mention that Meredith May actually is a very accomplished journalist yes. as well. Yes. Yes. Um, and we're working on getting programming a Prize together. A Prize-winning journalist, I Short, believe. Yes, Shortlisted yeah. at least. Shortlisted yeah. um, for her work um, on children's soldiers mm-hmm. in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, So definitely she's tackled some pretty amazing subjects. And I think her voice is just unlike anybody that I've read yeah that's awesome yeah
0: and she'll be in town she'll be here. doing two or three or who knows she seems very enthusiastic she'll be in town yes. around the story four times. she'll be doing her keynote sort of yes reading and conversation and discussion and I think there's going to be some some there's definitely gonna be some visuals involved that's yes. gonna be at the Egyptian theater which is exactly. in downtown Boise um and that's going to be on the saturday the 28th mm-hmm. um and it's free and open but it mm-hmm. will be ticketed yep. so through treasure valley reads and right. Eventbrite, sort of uh yeah. page that'll be put out there very soon the yes. we're laying the cat out of the bag a little bit early um just because we haven't actually announced our schedule <laughs> officially for the yeah. festival and we won't by the time this airs um either but it, <laughs> that comes out on the 13th of february but um whoever's listening here gets the inside tip to like yeah go <laughs> you, get your tickets you get soon. all the yeah. inside yeah. information yeah, yeah. and yeah.
3: we'll have programming leading up to the keynote as well you can mm. find all of that information soon at treasure treasurevalleyreads.com yes. Yes. yeah
0: yeah and at our story fort page on the exactly. truth fort musicfest.com yeah. site and awesome. all our social media spots on Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter. Um, Story Fort Fest. Story Story Fort,
1: Story Fort Fest. all e, of
0: those places. It, all those places. And
1: yes, check out your local library's programming because there will be I all know. kinds of things happening.
0: Any shout-outs to your organization or the folks you work with? I mean, I'd hope Botanical Gardens does offer all sorts of stuff. You can look them up online as far as programming um, education-wise and, and just um, hands-on stuff. But what about these beekeepers where, yeah. where should we find their information
2: uh treasure valley beekeepers uh, organization is org, i believe and um come check us out we have meetings fourth tuesday every month okay. six thirty at the eagles lodge where is um, that it's up here on overland <laughs> okay um kind of by outback and all that right that <laughs> Frank- <area. laughs> yeah blooming onions yeah yeah, we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i don't
0: know allison Wire molly I mean- mark Thank, you so, Thank you
1: so much. Thank Have you so much. Thank you. I truly could time. talk to you for like three more hours. <laughs> yeah, you can stay here and talk a little <laughs> while
0: if you'd yeah. like.
3: We could start a radio show. Just, the just four beekeeping. Of us. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we can talk to the ease drop, <laughs> ease-drop.com, yeah, folks. Yes. And we can find this podcast along with several others on their podcast network. Um, and uh, Brett. Battistain. I learned how to pronounce his last yes. name finally, but it, uh, yeah. So he helps us out a ton. Um, Koji Krill as well, and the whole eavesdrop team is fantastic. And um, yeah, I think that's probably going to do it for this yes. episode of Storyport so. Presents Voices of Treeport Music Fest. And what do we do, what do we say at the end?
1: We'll see you at the fest.
0: We will see you at the fest.
3: See you at the fest. <laughs>
0: Tomorrow never came Oh, yesterday you said